Welcome to the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast, encouraging and equipping Christians to grow in their walk with Christ. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. We have nothing to pay. We are bankrupt. We are sinners. The Lord Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, comes to us by grace. And when we have nothing to pay, he comes and forgives us. This is the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davies. As a Christian, we believe that Jesus came to this world to pay for sin. Today, we'll begin a two-part series with David Dunlop, where we'll discuss who did Christ die for and who can be saved. Well, we just want to welcome everyone to the TRBC podcast. Uh, today, I have with me David Dunlop. He is the president of Cornerstone Magazine. He and his family have been in the Lord's work over 35 years. He's a writer, speaker, husband of one, father of three. And if you spend any time reading uh, what he's written or uh, hearing any of his messages, you'll find that he has a clear passion for the Lord and the Lord's work. David, we're happy to have you with us this morning. It's my pleasure to be with you. And um, just to add to a little bit to uh, what you share about me, I live in, in the Tampa, Florida area. And I've lived here for over 20 years uh, in the Lord's work. And I'm happy to be with you this morning. Well, we're happy that you could join us. Well, we're going to dive into a subject that uh, no doubt is a bit uh, uh, complex. There's a lot of depth to it, but uh, we think it's important. We want to ask the questions this morning or try to answer them as best as we can. Did Christ die for everyone? Can anyone be saved? And why does that matter? And those are going to be the things that we're going to walk through this morning. So one thing I thought, David, before we started, it'd be a great idea to just uh, in a nutshell, talk about what do we mean when we say the gospel or salvation? Because I'm sure we'll have listeners who might not even know these terms. So I think the basis of the gospel helps us realize why the next questions are important. Well, the gospel is certainly very important. And uh, the whole Bible centers around the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ coming is mentioned in the Old Testament coming and dying for our sins. We have in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. We have the Lord, the Lord's death for us mentioned in Isaiah 53. And uh, so it's certainly one of the most important things in scripture. And, um, and when you come to the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, you got three, there are three aspects, I think, to the gospel. Uh, the first aspect is that we're all sinners. We're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we need salvation. The only way uh, to heaven is through the finished work, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, dying for our sins on the cross of Calvary. So um, that's the, the basis for it. But it is also a free gift. And I think that's very, very important. It's a free gift. Uh, we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift. And that the word there, the gift is the salvation. And not of works, lest any man should boast. 
<clears throat> so the gift in those verses is salvation. It's a free gift. I like the passage. <clears throat> excuse me. I like the passage in in Luke chapter uh, seven, where the Lord Jesus comes to the home of um, of Simon the Pharisee, uh, and he comes to that home, and uh, there's a banquet. There's many people there, and a woman comes in, and she is called the sinner of the city. He's mentioned twice in the King James Version as the sinner of the city. And uh, she, she anoints the feet of the Lord Jesus with perfume. She washes. She first washes his, her feet with her tears, dries his feet with her hair. And then the Lord Jesus tells a little story about two people, one who had a very great debt and one who had a very small debt, one who had a debt of 500 denarius, one who had a debt of 50 denarius, but then he says this, and when the Lord Jesus is giving that story, he's really talking about salvation, <clears throat> talking about those two individuals. Mm. He's talking about Simon, who thought he was righteous, and talking about the woman who knew she was unrighteous. But he says this, he says, and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. We have nothing to pay. We are bankrupt. We are sinners. The Lord Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, comes to us by grace. And when we have nothing to pay, he comes and forgives us. And so that's the gospel. We, of course, have to have faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. There's a personal response to the gospel. One last thought I would say about the gospel. We, gotta, we, we have to watch that we don't front load the gospel with works, some cults. Uh, some denominations, they front load the gospel with works and add to the message of salvation. Sure. They say, you must do this, this, and this before you can be saved. You can be baptized. You must be baptized first before you can be saved. And then there are some groups that backload uh, the message of the gospel. Say, okay, now you are saved, but you're not really saved until you continue to do these things. And I think that's a very... Uh, that's a that's a danger, and so the gospel is free. The moment we are saved, we are saved for eternity. Once we place faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, we are saved. We have the assurance of salvation. We know at that moment that we are saved. Not that when we die and we wake up and we open our eyes, we're in heaven one day, and then we know. Right. Uh, some call that eternal security. But well, the Bible talks about the assurance of salvation. These things, 1 John 1, 13, these things I write unto you who believe that you may know you have eternal life. We can know right now, the moment we're saved, that we have eternal life. And so in a nutshell, those are some aspects about the gospel. That's great. And when we look at the gospel, it's such a... An amazing thing for us to think that that we as sinners could have salvation and then to uh, have the opportunity now to bring that message to the world. It's it's so important that what we believe on the gospel be biblically founded and right. And we live in a day and age where it's uh, it's easier. Uh, it's hard to have a disagreement um, and still be friends. I think we see that a lot right now. Um, but two, uh, there's also this uh, propensity to be afraid of, of believing in something absolutely, being willing to stand on it without 
um, having to say, well, all options could be true. Um, one of the things, though, as we seek to um, not just keep the gospel ourselves, but spread it to others, it's important that we make sure the, the ones that we're spreading it to have it available. And, and at Turner Row Bible Chapel, we believe that Jesus call or his um, his offer of salvation is for everyone. Uh, but we want to look at this from a biblical perspective. Uh, David, does the Bible actually teach that when Jesus died, he died to pay the sins of the whole world? Or does the Bible teach that when Jesus died, he died for some? I think that's an excellent question. And I think it's a question a lot of people at one time or another think about in their in their Christian life as they dig into scripture, as they read, um, they wonder about that question. And I would suggest that the Lord Jesus Christ did die for the whole world simply because that's what the Bible teaches. But um, we want to look just to answer this question. We want to look at a number of verses. We want to be biblical. We want to be Bible-based. Look at a couple of questions, and um, and then I, I want to come to a conclusion and share a few thoughts. Um, I mentioned in the previous question uh, Isaiah fifty-three and verse uh, and verse six. I want to I want to return to that for a moment. It says, "All we like sheep have gone astray." We've turned each one to his own way. Then it says this, and the Lord, God the Father, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that verse begins with two alls. We can't say about that first. The first all is different than the last all. Right. The first all is all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. That we're all lost. We're all sinners. We're all ungodly. We are. Uh, we need salvation. That's all of us. But then you go to the second part, and you just mentioned as you as you asked this question, the gospel is an amazing thing. The grace of God is a wonderful, amazing, uh, uh, amazing thing that we can we can have the benefit of coming to salvation uh, through a gracious God. We who were sinners, we weren't. We couldn't improve ourselves. There's nothing we could do to make ourselves better. The Lord comes and He takes all of our sin. He takes our iniquity and He lays it. God the Father takes our iniquity and He lays it upon His Son. And He says in that verse, He takes the iniquity of us all. He pays for the sin of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord laid on Him the iniquity, the sin of us all. And so that's a, that's a very important foundational verse about whether who did the Lord, who did, who were the persons that the Lord Jesus Christ died for. We sure. see in Isaiah 53, it was all of us, all, if we're a sinner, then he died for us. Mm. And let's look at a couple of other verses as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. In verse 9, it says, the Lord Jesus says, he tasted death for every man. Uh, we read also down a little further in, uh, in another passage in Romans chapter, chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrated his love towards us that while we, are, we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
He died for those who have gone astray. He died for the sinners. We read uh, earlier in, um, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, when we were without strength in due time, God, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for all men. He tasted death for all men, for every man. He died for those who were sinners who uh, had their iniquities laid upon him. He died for the ungodly. So we see over and over again that the Lord Jesus Christ died for all. He died for all of us. He died for those. If we're sinners, he died for us. Mm-hmm. It says also in 1 John one twenty nine. Uh, John the Baptist is seeing the Lord Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, very important verse. It's not just for some, but it's for the, the world. And one last verse, and that's 1 John 2, verse 2. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He says this, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Right. And so we have these passages, but then the question comes up. Someone might ask you, do you mean, Dave, that when you say that the Lord Jesus Christ paid on the cross of Calvary, or he died uh, for all of us, that his atoning sacrifice uh, paid the sins of every person, do you mean that every person is saved? Right. Um, well, that's a good follow-up question, and we have to, we've got to wrestle with that. If he died for everyone, does it mean and he paid for the sins of everyone, and the sins of everyone was laid upon him, does it follow that everyone is saved? Now, when we go to the New Testament, we find that not everyone is saved. We right. find there are those who do not, who are not saved. And the gospel goes out, uh, and the exhortation by the Lord Jesus and by the apostles and uh, in the New Testament church, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So we know that not everyone is saved. So I want to go to a passage, and that is in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. Okay. Now, I'm reading from the King James Version, and uh, or the New King James Version is the same. Newer translations uh, word this a little bit differently. But uh, I like the wording, and I think it's an accurate wording of uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 22. And it says this, The righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ, is unto all. And then it says, and is upon all them that believe. Now, that's a very interesting Hmm. distinction. So, he first of all he says the righteousness of God that is available through faith is to all. He died for all, and it is that that blessing, that privilege, that opportunity to have our sins forgiven and have the righteousness of God is available to all because the Lord Jesus died for all. But then it says this it is to all, but then he says in the same verse, it is upon all that believe. So there's a distinction. So I want to suggest that the Lord Jesus Christ made provision. I like the the wording. The Lord Jesus Christ made provision for the salvation of every man. 
He died for the sins of every man. He made provision. Everyone, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for every man, woman, and child that's ever been born uh, to be saved. The application of the finished work of Christ is sufficient for everyone. But not everyone, there's a requirement, but not everyone is saved because not everyone has appropriated that by faith has come and has believed. So it is the Lord Jesus died for all. He made provision for all. The gospel goes to all, but only those who have faith believe on the Lord, uh, have their sins taken from them. Now, I want to maybe just mention one more thing. And if you want to uh, have a follow-up question or or jump in, feel free to do that. There was a book years ago, not that long ago, actually, a number of years ago by Rob Bell. Rob Bell was the pastor at one time of Mars Hill Bible Church, an an emerging uh, church. Uh, He he was uh, unorthodox, probably not uh, orthodox in his faith. He tells a story one time, and this is what the emerging church believed, along with other churches. The emerging church believed, along with the book, The Shack, that came out around the same time, mm-hmm. believed the Lord Jesus Christ died. When he died, he paid for the sins of every man. There was no need for evangelism. There was no need for preaching the gospel. The only problem was that some people didn't have relationship with Christ. And what the shack was saying, everything is paid for. We don't have to worry about who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. But we don't have relationship. Sure. And uh, and so Rob Bell tells a story. And he tells a story being at breakfast with his son in a restaurant in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he's enjoying the breakfast. And as the time comes to pay the bill, the waiter comes. And he comes up to Rob and he says to him, He says, someone has paid the bill for you. You're free. You can go. There's no cost. Someone has paid the bill for you. The bill has been paid. So he takes that and uses that as a as a illustration of salvation. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ did pay the bill for all. But he had to take the illustration. Rob had to take that by faith and say, "Okay, I can walk out of here. Sure. The, the gospel message came to Rob. He said the bill was paid. Rob said, no, 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 I don't believe you. He could have said, no, I, I don't believe you. That's impossible. No, 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 no. Here, yeah. I want to do my part. I want to pay it. I want to pay it again. I want to pay what my bill is, and I want to do my part. Well, Rob didn't do that. Rob, by faith, took that and said, yes, I believe what you're telling me is true. I stand on that the bill has been paid uh, we would apply that to the bill's been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust in that finished work, and I'm saved. But Bill, but Bob, Rob was trying to say that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the bill, and so everyone is saved. That's what the writer of the, the book, The Shack, was saying. Uh, and many others say the same thing. Hmm. The bill has been paid, but the Bible says there's something else. There are many people who are not saved, and right. they're not saved because they have not uh, taking that finished work, appropriated, applied it to their lives, and received the free gift of salvation. Sure, and it's it's not the funny thing about that is it's not uh, 
when you think of it from a theological perspective, you hear that argument, right? And in some ways it's on two sides. One who says, well, how could Christ not have saved those who he died for? Does he not have the power to do that? But then you bring it to a real life example like that. And it's, well, it's really not out of the realm of possibility for me to actually uh, go to someone in need, offer them money and them say no. Right. right. And and there's a thousand reasons why it could be pride. It could be I don't want help. It could be I don't want your help. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the. Uh, the money itself, but not wanting to take it from the person giving it. That's right. So in a practical sense, we understand this idea that it's totally possible for there to be more than enough resources to pull us out of a situation, but the person in the situation could refuse the resources. It's not the problem of the resource giver. And that whole idea would, I guess, presuppose the fact that the Resource giver had the resources ahead of time, ready to give. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So it's, I think when you look at Christ dying and even, uh, I've thought of this in my own mind. This is a simple way, I guess, of thinking of it. But Christ was a perfect sacrifice. There's no limit to what he could have paid for. There's there's not like a certain amount of sin where it's like, okay, um, we had enough to save this many, but the bank of heaven is out of grace, out of mercy, out of forgiveness. We're sorry. So it's uh, it's totally believable. And I know you've probably heard this illustration, too. But I mean, you know, I, we have four kids at home and uh, on Christmas morning, they could all refuse the benevolence of their parents by just simply leaving their gifts under the tree. <laughs> doesn't mean we didn't spend money. doesn't mean we didn't put thought into it, but it was available. Um, so then this kind of blends into the next question. In some, some senses, what we talked about answers it, but is salvation then open to everyone? So let's say Christ died. Um, he did have the power to save the whole world, but some might say, and they're not wrong in saying this, he didn't have to. Um, what if he only died to save some and that salvation he gave on the cross is limited to those, um, that he selected to believe. So it's, it's a different question. It's not, was Christ able to save or does his death necessitate the saving of everyone? Um, but when he died, did he choose to save everyone? Was that his intention or was there a certain select people in mind? Well, I think that the Lord Jesus wants everyone to be saved. We have that statement made in Scripture. He desires that all men come to repentance. So we we know from Scripture, and if we take Scripture at face value, which we should, Christ wants everyone to be saved. He has offered that message to everyone. John 3.16, in some ways, is the hardest verse for some people, uh, Verily, verily, I say to you, where, where, where he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, first of all, we see that he loves the world. So if it was selected for just some, not the world, a smaller subset within the world, well, first of all, he says he wants everyone to be saved. And that statement is made by Peter. It's also made by the Apostle Paul in uh, in Second First Timothy chapter 2. 
and is made by God the Father. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever, there you see the responsibility. Not everyone is saved. Whosoever believes on him. So we find love to the whole world. We find grace to the whole world. We find mercy to the whole world. We find God wants the whole world to be saved. It be contrary, it'd be a stretch to say, no, now, no, he only, uh, we see also that he died for the whole world. Right. It'd be a big stretch to say, oh, no, okay, now he uh, only wanted a small subset to be saved. But let's examine that question a little further uh, and think about it. Um, and look at a number of passages about, about uh, that. Is it open to all? That's the question. Is salvation open to all? Um, and I want to argue that it is. It is open to all. And um, yes, there is a sin nature. We have a sin nature. And, uh, and the sin nature that we have, our fallen condition that we received by imputation from Adam, we are all lost sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins. There's no doubt about that. And none of us would ever get saved unless the Lord Jesus Christ, unless God made the first move towards us. Sure. We could not save ourselves. We don't have a certain amount of good in us where we're going to seek after God. God has to seek us. We are lost in our trespasses and sins. But... We'll see in a couple of passages that we are able, God enables us to be able to, as he comes to us, respond to him. God yeah. enables us to respond to him as he comes to us. And that seems to be a clear, uh, clear truth of scripture. We are not saying we have a, uh, a 1% of uh, of light within us, and we can choose for God without him even coming to us. No, I think that would be unbiblical. I don't find that in Scripture. I do find God coming to us. We find the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We find the message of the gospel coming to us, and then the ability to respond. And I want to look at a couple of passages with you. Sure. And... um to see if this is what the Bible says, what I just shared, to see if this is what the Bible teaches. Um, I'm going to ask our hearers to, to turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 15. This is about the nation of Israel, but I think it is also speaking about us. The language that's used is used of the nation of Israel, but I think it's also true of every man. We have a blindness. We have a lost condition. Uh, we have the sin nature. Now, is that sin nature so great that we're, un we're unable, unable to respond to the gospel? That's a big question. Mm. Some would say, no, you cannot. Only the selected, only the selected could, could respond to the gospel. Or is it that all can respond to the gospel as the message of the gospel comes to them? Now, in this passage... And it's important to see the order of salvation, the order that we're talking about. The order is we're lost in our trespasses and sins. God comes to us in some way. When he comes to us in some way, he comes to us in a way, the spirit of God, the preaching of the word of God, the spirit of God convicting us. As we respond, 
we see that sin nature. We see that that sin nature taken away. Now look at this verse for a minute. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 3. Even to this day, when Moses is read, the background and, and, and backstory is to Jewish people in a synagogue. He says, is read, there's a veil over their hearts. Right. So when we have the spirits read, there's a veil over our hearts. But look what it says. The next part. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord. Now, does that veil or that sin nature or that spiritual blindness, does that say that a person cannot respond to the gospel, to the reading of scripture, even though it's there? No. Now, after that happens, he says that veil is taken away. Salvation comes in. The word is read. The veil is there. The sin nature is there. But the message is coming to us. Mm. I want to say it's it's very similar to the illustration of uh, of Lazarus and the Lord Jesus uh, raising him from the dead. Here's Lazarus physically dead. Some would say we are spiritually dead, and we are, absolutely are. Left to ourselves, no one would get saved. We would not seek after God. We are physically, we would be spiritually dead. But some would say we're so spiritually dead, we can't hear the voice of God. Uh, we can't even hear it. I've seen people uh, have a picture of a graveyard or a corpse and right. preaching the gospel to him and say, oh, look, look, he, he he's cannot respond in the same way when we're spiritually dead. Yes. But that's unbiblical. That's an unbiblical illustration because time and time again, it is it was shown to be false. Now, let's look about look at that that idea. Are we so spiritually dead that when God, when Christ speaks to us, we cannot respond? Now, the Lord Jesus came to the grave of Lazarus. He was physically dead. He could not raise himself. He could do nothing to bring life into his body. Right. To rise up. He couldn't do it by good works. He couldn't do it by reading scripture. But it says the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke to him, said, Lazarus, come forth. What did Lazarus do? The word of God was able to get through to a dead person, a physically dead person. That's a good point. That's a good point. And he rises. Now, I want to suggest that the word of the Lord can get through to a spiritually dead person. I would argue with anyone who would say, no, the word of the Lord the Holy Spirit cannot get through to a spiritually dead person. The Bible, first of all, the Bible says that's not true. We see it in this passage we just read. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15, mm-hmm. where it says, a Jewish man can turn to the Lord, can turn to the Lord, even though there's a sin nature, even though they're veiled. Even though there's spiritual blindness, he can turn to the Lord. How can he turn to the Lord? The word of God is read. As the word of God is read, God is prompting him. God is enabling him, and he turns. Hmm. Let's look at another passage. Um, That's Acts chapter 28. Okay. 
Acts chapter 28 and verses 27 and 28. Again, the background is the Jewish nation. And it says in verse 27 of Acts 28, for this people's heart has been calloused. Now, very interesting. There was a veil already. Now, through their own personal uh, experience, they have become even more hard. Sure. We find that. Men and women can do that. They can become even harder than they are in their own sin nature. You would say, some would say, well, the sin nature is so strong already, uh, they can never be saved to start with. But now we find that they're even more calloused. Yeah, and I think more hardened. I think probably people listening have experienced that with people they've shared the gospel with who were initially receptive, seemed to come like this close. And then you, I have a friend of mine uh, today that uh, he, what used to be a blessing for him hearing the gospel, he curses. The, the, mm. the one stipulation on our relationship is never mention that again. Yeah, yeah. So you see that practically all of the time yeah. with people yeah. who saw the gospel, heard it. You, you know they were affected by it, and they eventually made the decision, no, I, uh, as we're probably about to read, I'm just going to close my eyes. Don't talk to, me, talk to right. me about this again. So in this passage, this people's hearts were veiled. They had a sin nature, and they were closed to the gospel. They became even more calloused. And then it says this in the same in this passage. They hardly hear with their ears. No, it doesn't say they don't hear at all. Mm. They hardly hear with their ears. Now, this is interesting. These are callous people. Now, those who are veiled and those who are uh, those who are dead in the trespasses and sins can hear. Even those who are very calloused. Your friend. Someone who is hardened to the gospel, sin nature, plus an hardening that they have because of life experience, they can still hear. This group of people, hardened hearts, calloused hearts, it says they hardly hear, but they can hear. Mm. It says also they, they have closed their eyes. But then it says this in this passage. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and they would hear with their ears. Now, someone who has their hearts availed, someone with a sin nature, they can hear. They can hear with their ears. They can see spiritually with their eyes. They can respond. Now, look at this passage. Then it says this. They can understand with their hearts. And then it says this, they can turn and I will heal them. The idea there is salvation, that they would have spiritual salvation. Now, this is an interesting passage, and this is the order of salvation. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, but we can hear. We can see. Sometimes we're callous and we want to close our eyes. Sometimes we're callous, we want to close our ears. We're hardened, and we don't want to hear. You can still, even in that calloused position, still hear. 
Maybe Nicodemus was calloused and still heard. But let's look at another passage for a minute. So can everyone be saved? Yes. Is the sin nature? Does that absolutely uh, uh, block someone from ever coming to salvation because we're dead in our trespasses and sins? Because we're spiritually dead? No. Mm. A spiritually dead man can hear. Now, I'm going to belabor this point a little further uh, because I think it's very important. There are many who say because of the sin nature, no one can get saved except a select few who God uh, regenerates, that God makes alive, and, uh, and they are regenerated. C.H. Cal- uh, Spurgeon used to say, this is a ridiculous idea. It's like bringing the, the gospel, bringing the medicine to someone who is already well. If you're regenerated, you're saved. If you're regenerated, you have a relationship with Christ. Regeneration enables relationship with Christ. Regeneration means your sins are forgiven. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Indwelling Holy Spirit, relationship, and salvation. And now you say, let's preach the gospel to those people so they can have faith. But I don't think that's necessary. Mm. The Spirit of God is able to reach a person and enable a person to respond to him. Some are calloused, close their ears and close their, their eyes. That happens. But the, the sin nature and the veiling does not block a person from hearing, a person from responding to the gospel. And let's look at a couple of places where we see this. Let's go back in the book of Acts a little bit. Acts chapter 26, 18. Here's the Paul's re, recounting, um, retelling the story of how he, how he was called, how he was commissioned to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And uh, as he tells that, that account, that interaction he had with Christ, he says this, verse 17. He said, I'm sending you, I'm delivering you from the, uh, I'm, I'm delivering thee from the people, from the Jewish people, and now I'm sending you to the Gentiles, unto whom I will send. Then he says this. Look at this verse for a minute. To open their eyes. Now, how were their eyes opened? He said, you are going to open their eyes. And I want to suggest by preaching the word of God, their eyes will be opened. Mm-hmm. By going to them and preaching the message that Christ gave to him, preaching the gospel. I want to say there's a power There's a power in preaching the message of the gospel. That message can open eyes. That message can break through the sin nature that we have and enable us to believe. Now, look at this verse. He opens their eyes. The message will open their eyes. Will turn them from darkness to light. They're living in darkness but the message will turn them to light. The message is light, and the message, even though we don't see much change in an unsaved person, light is coming into their minds and hearts and souls by the preaching of the gospel. He says, too, in this, in this verse, the first part of the verse, and from the power of Satan to God. Now, they're not saved here. Right. This person whose eyes are opened, who's turned from darkness to light 
And from the power of Satan to God, they're not saved. But they're able, God is able to reach into their hearts and speak the message of the gospel through the preaching of Paul. Then it says this, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. So the first part we see here, this is all what the gospel does. This is what the gospel does to the unsaved man before regeneration takes place. God can get through to a darkened sin nature. Their eyes can be opened. They can be turned from darkness to light. They can be turned from the power of God, uh, so from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins. How? They might receive the inheritance among them that are sanctified. How did they get that? How did they come into the family of God? How did they receive the forgiveness of sins? Yes, Christ died for everyone. There needs that appropriation. They need that application. He says here, by faith that is in me. So the first three things that are mentioned here are things that take place before a person is saved. Hmm. Person still has that sin nature. But their eyes can be opened. They can hear. They can respond. They can have light. Satan does not have his grip on them that they would be blinded. So that they can believe and receive the forgiveness of sins. So this is for everyone. Is this for just a certain amount of people? Is it just for the Gentiles? Is for the Jew? It was. It applied to the Jew and Gentile equally. So you have that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit is to everyone. We read in uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 16, I think verse 8 and 9, it says, When the Comforter shall come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and right. judgment. Sin, because you do not, because they do not believe on me. So the convicting work of the Holy Spirit comes especially the unsaved world, so they would believe on the Lord Jesus. It comes to all. The convicting work is to all the world, especially because of sin, convicting about their sin, that they would turn to God, and that they would receive the message of the gospel. Now, I've gone on a little bit. I'm going uh, to allow you to respond if you want to have any follow-up questions. But... I want to just spend a little bit more time on this idea of dead people responding, dead people hearing, dead people being able to respond to the word of God. All people, though they have a sin nature, they're not unable. There's no inability to be able to respond. And remember back in Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve sinned, God said to, to Adam, the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Now, it wasn't physical death. It was spiritual death. Right. They ate of the fruit, both Adam and Eve. They both died spiritually. They were as dead spiritually as you and I were when we were born. Mm. But God comes into the garden. It says he came into the garden. He came into the garden where Adam and Eve were in the cool of the evening. And he said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? Adam heard heard him. Dead men can hear the voice. That was the physical voice of God. And he hid himself. Right. But he could hear. 
Now let's move forward a little bit. Ezekiel 37. There is the nation of Israel in a valley of dry bones. God comes to the nation and says, uh, I'm sorry, uh, God comes to Ezekiel uh, and, and speaks to him about the nation, and he sees this in a vision, these dry bones. He says to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Uh, Ezekiel says, Lord, thou knowest. Mm-hmm. And what does God say? He doesn't say, well, I'm going to. I'm going to uh, regenerate them first. They're going to rise up a great nation. Then you can preach to them. No, he doesn't say that. He says, preach, preach, son of man, preach. And as he preached the word of the Lord, they rose up. (laughs) And then he filled them with his spirit. Then the spirit of God entered into them, and then they were a great nation. That's the order in scripture. Dead bones, dead men can hear. Another passage and then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop at that point. Sure. Have a follow-up question if you like. John chapter 5, John chapter 5 and verse 25. John chapter 5 and verse 25. Now, in this passage, verse 25 is speaking about spiritually dead people. Later on, down further, um, in verse 28, it's about those in graves physically dead. But here at this point, it's spiritually dead people. And it follows with that great gospel passage or gospel text, uh, five, John 5, 24. I'm going to begin to read at 24. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life shall not come into judgment, but pass from death to life. So that's the theme. In verse 25, he's going to take up that theme of death, pass from death to life. And then he says in verse 25, the Lord Jesus is speaking, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is now coming, and now is the dead, the spiritually dead, Those whom the word of God came to in verse 24. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So here, dead people again, hearing the voice of the Son of God. Today, dead people, spiritually dead people, those dead in their trespasses and sins, hear. If they believe, they will live and have eternal life. Thanks for listening to the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast. TRBC is located in Windsor, Ontario, and you can find us online at trbc.ca. Tune in next time for the second half of my conversation with David Dunlop. We hope this has helped encourage and equip you in your walk with Christ.